Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we examine the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. With that being said, we are not women's studies majors. Nope. We uh, didn't study women's lib in college. We didn't. Um, So we might get some facts wrong, especially with a episode like today's where we're talking about the suffragette movement and first wave feminism. And there's also so much information. I I'm that on information we're overload. For sure going to miss a lot of stuff. For sure. Like, Cuz I could have gone into a black hole of first wave feminism this week. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I generally really enjoy doing research. And I said that I didn't enjoy doing research this week, but it was so much it was, I was it was a little stressful. It I'm was kind of stressful. Well, and the other thing that was frustrating is that there was so like, there was a lot of information, but then there really wasn't any information at the same time. Yeah. So you had to kind of, like, dig a little bit and go down that rabbit hole a little bit in order to, like, learn more information about yeah, stuff. Yeah, you're kind of cobbling together stuff from, like, multiple websites yeah. and videos and trying to, like, figure out what's what and exactly. what goes where. It's very involved. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think that it's going to be easier for us when we do, like, the second and third yeah, waves. I think so, too. I think they're much more, like, straightforward. Well, and there's so much more information on it. You know what I mean? This is, like, we're talking the 18th and 19th century, and not that we don't have a lot of information about those times, but I feel like it probably wasn't as, like, well-recorded Or the as 19th maybe. and 20th century, more. Oh, sorry, yes, 18th. that's what I meant. Yeah, I know, I, I do the same thing. because when it's the 19th, like, when it's 1990-something, I want to say it's 19th century. Yeah, I do the same thing. I do the exact same thing. I knew exactly what you meant. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, you get me. <laughs> but... Yeah, so there's just, like, so much information. Um, We tried to do a good job for you guys, so hopefully we did. Yeah, (laughs) we're just going to chat about it with the information that we have. We're not going to be hard on ourselves about, you know, not getting it all. We're just going to chat about what we have. Yeah. And that's just life. Okay, wonderful. Okay. Okay, where should we start? Well, as I already said, uh, it took place between, like, the 1800s and the 1900s, and I was watching... The Tom, I almost said Tom Green video, <laughs> John Green video, the uh, Crash Course of History YouTube videos, and he was saying that like 1890 to 1920, people refer to as like the women's era, mm-hmm. and by 1900, almost five million women <laughs> worked for wages in a lot of jobs like the garment industry and different things like that. He said, "When did it start?" He said, 18... "Between the a- 1890 and 1920." That's so interesting because. It's so, again, this is part of what makes it so foggy and confusing mm-hmm. is that I feel like everyone has kind of like a different view and a different opinion on yeah. when the beginning of the movement happened. Well, that's why with that's the only specific dates as far as like when the movement happened that I ever got. Like I, I was just seeing, you know, 1800s, early 1900s mm-hmm. and everything that I that I read. That was the only, like, kind of specific thing, so I wrote it down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no, because I was actually looking, because usually people do, like, kind of, like, define things, you know, and you can find those brackets. Yeah. Those, like, There's time really, brackets. Well, because also before, like, the movement started, there were, like, individual feminists that kind of, like, did their thing. So I guess yeah. people are probably like, okay, do we count that time, or do we count, like, when 
the suffragette movement started. I'm sure that it's, well, the, it's very foggy. The, the most common theme that I found was that people tended to think that the American suffragette movement kind of really started getting um, ground and gaining ground in 1948 at the mm-hmm. Seneca Falls Convention. Yeah. Um, but what I found was really interesting. I found this and I thought it was so fascinating and awesome and something that I didn't know and now I kind of want to know more about Abigail Adams mm. <laughs> who was John Adams's uh, wife. Right. Didn't you talk about her in an episode a minute ago? Um, I mean, no, I talked about I talked about Thomas Jefferson's wife. Thank you. Yeah, uh, but John Adams, who is you know his contemporary, uh, Jefferson's contemporary, um, and also a person who wrote the Declaration of Independence, and he yeah. was uh, one of our presidents. And in the months leading up to the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Abigail Adams wrote her husband on March thirty first, seventeen seventy six, and this is what she said in the letter. She said, in the new code of laws, which I suppose will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. Mm -hmm. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. So... That was in 1776. That's amazing. Obviously, we didn't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, American women didn't do that. But, I mean... It was was kind of like a premonition, almost, of, like, the future. No, we didn't do it immediately in 1776. But women wanted to, man. Like, they were were ready for rights, like, at that early stage. I mean, honestly, I'm sure that even further back, it was just one of those things where it's like, how do we do this? How do we get a group of people together to really make change? I'm sure individually there were a lot of people that felt that way. Mm -hmm. It just, I think it just took some more time and getting a group of badass women together and getting men on your side yeah sadly like you know yeah. what i mean well i mean that's that's why allyship is important mm-hmm. you know it's good to have good men yeah you know we don't have any space for bad men um well i mean so let's just mention that basically the first wave was a lot about gaining uh political power including the right to vote bringing about change in the political agenda and a bit of reproductive rights. They touched on that yeah. a little bit. Margaret Sanger came of, out of the, the yeah, first wave. A lot of economic matters. And during the first wave, I think it was in 1860. I don't know if I have it in my notes, but that was when women developed the right to um, own property, married women, yes. developed the right to own property, and, and rights wages. over their own children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Which rights is, over their own children. Right. Well, and, and that's kind of touching on something that the first wave was really all about, was a lot about typical female roles, even though it was about, you know, gaining wages and political power and voting and things like that. It still was very much like a mother middle class mm-hmm. white mother kind oh yeah of it, this, this, thing. it was definitely led by um white middle class women right so because it, but because it was led by them a lot mm-hmm. of it had to do with with though with the issues pertaining mostly to them yeah inheritance things yeah, like that yeah, yeah 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 which is great it was a start you know what i mean yeah, I it mean, would have been great if we could have started with more you know intersectionality well you know what's actually really interesting is when when I was researching this and kind of looking at all these different um, sources, yeah. I found that 
really in the, the the suffrage movement was completely intertwined with the abolitionist movement. And actually, yeah. in the beginning, white women that that's really kind of like where they found their voice. And I was gonna I was actually gonna mention that because so I gave Keegan this book like a month ago and I hope I she have finds no time. time. <laughs> I understand it, but like it's so I wish I could just like transfer my knowledge of this book to you because <laughs> it's so like it completely like Oh, I'll get it on books. Audible. Audible sponsor us, please. Do it. <laughs> so I can have it for free. But the book is called The Invention of Wings by Sue Monk Kidd, and it's about the Grimke sisters. Mostly, it's about Sarah Grimke, mm-hmm. and it's about this girl. Um, it, I think it's technically historical fiction because I don't think they have that, like, they're not going to call it nonfiction because they don't have, like, diaries and things like that of right. exactly what happened. But basically, Sarah Grimke was the daughter of, like, a very powerful lawyer and when she was little she would like sneak into his office and like read his books and stuff and said I want to be a lawyer and basically as soon as like he said that he was like haha funny no you're not and for her like 11th birthday or something she was given a slave as a present Mm -hmm. and the book is split between Sarah's point of view and her slave girl point point of view and she talks about being dressed up like a present with a bow and all this stuff and basically sarah wrote a legal document to her father and mother saying like thank you for the gift but no thank you basically and the next morning it was like ripped up by her bedroom door Mm -hmm. so it was it's kind of about her you know teaching this girl to read and like about the differences in their lives and also how they came together through um, the abolitionist and feminist movements and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh, it's such a good book. I didn't really know anything about first wave feminism when I read it. And that was such an amazing book for me to read, even if a lot of it was fictitious, like the story was so good. Right. Well, and the, and the story comes from something. And actually yeah. the Grimke sisters were prominent figures. Yeah, they were very the... prominent and they, and a lot of it also, you know, they were Quakers Sarah kind of converted to being a Quaker. Yeah, they must have converted, right? Yeah, they converted. Quakers did not have slaves. No, no, no. She she converted because she, she they did not agree with that lifestyle mm-hmm. whatsoever. So she had converted and became very powerful in that world. She was very close with uh, Lucretia Mott, who was also a Quaker and an abolitionist, a women's rights activist, social reformer, and they they became really good friends. And Lucretia Mott was like one of her like mentors. And, um, yeah, Lucretia Mott kicks ass. Like, she comes up over and over again. Watch, like, look at her picture. She's so severe. No, I've seen her. Yeah, Yeah. like, she means business. She means fucking business. But yeah, I would want, I would still want her to, like, hug me. Um, I bet you she was really warm and soft inside. I bet. But then, but she was able to turn that on and be a force to be reckoned with, you know? But it's, it's great. Like, it's, if you want to read a book pertaining to any of this information, like, that's really great. But there was a lot of religion and abolition background anti-slavery background to yeah part of part of what makes the first wave so difficult to talk about is because there are so many different aspects to the people who who began it yes but I, i did find i found it so interesting that the abolitionist movement is really what gave women legs. Like, they were yeah. like, okay, this is how you do it. Because they were there with a, a lot of other, like, men who were uh, political figures who were kind of like, this is how you organize and agitate for change. Like, this is what you do. This yeah. is how you, you know, so they learned how to write and publicly organize. Yeah. And 
Um, The Anti-American Slavery Society was led by uh, William Lloyd Garrison, who encouraged the participation of women within the movement. Um, People within the movement began to call themselves Garrisonians, and one of these Garrisonians was Lucretia Mott. And she believed that women should be able to gain um, equal access to gainful employment, equality within marriage and family. They believed in married women's rights to property, wages, and custody over their own body and their children. Yep. And she was also very big into, uh, like, Christian charity, like, putting, oh, yeah. um, helping out the less fortunate and things like that. Mm-hmm. She was just all around a really wonderful woman. And so she developed her own group called the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society. Mm-hmm. And it was racially integrated and focused really heavily on the sexual abuse of slave women, mm-hmm. which was not only revolutionary at the time because of the way people looked at black women in general but also it's so sad because you see this movement coming out of the the abolitionist movement this women's movement and you see how it could have been so intersectional from Mm -hmm. the start and then you see it slowly start to unravel but it got taken over by different types of people um, I mean, something that's great about the first wave of feminism is that it employed mostly moderate activist tactics. So a lot of it was like um, signing petitions, lobbying, like you said, really learning from um, the men in their lives. They would use like hunger strikes and picketing. And so that's, you know, really kind of founded for a lot of the things that we're still doing today, which I mm-hmm. think is really great. Yeah. Something that I, I found was interesting, which kind of has us jumping ahead a little bit. We're, uh-huh. we're jumping ahead of this um, Seneca Falls convention. But it was interesting that there wasn't a ton of information, actually, about, like, American suffrage yeah. and suffragettes. But there was a lot of information about the suffragettes of the United Kingdom. Uh-huh. And they, this is jumping ahead into the beginning of the 20th century, right? So this is after Seneca Falls. This is, you know, kind of after the time of, like, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and um, Susan B. Anthony. But the suffragettes in the United Kingdom, which is actually where the term suffragette comes from, the Mm -hmm. Daily Mail coined the term suffragette, and they coined it to be kind of, like, diminutive, Mm -hmm. and then suffragettes kind of took it Mm -hmm. as their own. But the English suffragettes, and I know we have some... English listeners, so hi. Apparently, Apparently London is our number three listener. What? Yeah, that's weird. crazy. Above my mom, who's number five. When you see like Ketchum, Idaho, that's all my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, oh, hi, hi London. But you, you you think of like Americans tend to think of like English people as being like way more proper than yeah. than we are. But they don't tend to think that anymore. Their suffragette <laughs> movement was. Way more hardcore than our, ours was. Yeah. Way more hardcore. Tell they me about damaged. It. They damaged property like Love on it. purpose. They would carry little, um, little hammers around <laughs> and damage property. They're the ones who started going on hunger strikes and started chaining themselves to parliament buildings. Badass. And they would use these um, chains that were made from that were kind of adapted from things they would use in a mental asylum, mm. and they would put them under their dresses because it Deep. meant that. It meant that any cop who was going to have to come and get them was not only going to have to manhandle them, but, but was going to have to get under their skirt Yo! to take them off. And then be like, uh-uh. So they they Man. were super hardcore. Like, they, dam- they vandalized churches. They did all kinds of things. And our, our suffragette movement really didn't get that radical no. until... Um, 
I know, who was it? Alice Paul? Yeah, Alice Paul studied in England and came back to the United States in 1910, and she was the one who introduced their suffragette tactics Mm -hmm. or their tactics of civil disobedience. Yeah, I'm going to say it's wrong, but she... uh Organized events such as like the women's suffrage procession and the silent sen- sen- sentinels. 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 I'm gonna say it wrong. I'm horrible. Um, yeah, that's what it is. I just can't say it. Um, <laughs> yeah, she she definitely was a little bit more. She she talked a little bit more about sex and things like that a little bit too. Not quite as much as um, she was definitely Sanger more did, radical. But she yeah. well, I mean, and that makes sense because she did spend time in other places. Yeah, she studied in England, and she also became pretty active in their suffragette yeah. movement, so that when she came back, she's American, yeah. and when she came back to the States, she, she was, was just like... able to kind of teach us Yeah, she's ways. like, this is where, where you guys are getting it wrong. Yeah. Like, look, you want change, this is how we're going to do it. Um, right. Well, actually, I think that's a really good opportunity to kind of um, bounce back up mm-hmm. uh, to the 1800s, so we can kind of do start it. to figure out where... Because I know we've been talking in episodes past uh, for a while now about intersectionality yes. within with or lack thereof within yes. this first wave. Well, especially cuz we focused on Black History Month the last right. few months, right. know, talking about how they oh. were over, overlooked. Happy Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month, guys. To all of our listeners. Did I also just say that we've been talking about Black History Month the last few months? The last few months <laughs> we've been talking about one month. <laughs> Good. We should be, actually. We should be. <laughs> Maybe it was like a good Freudian slip. <laughs> so I, most people, I think, attribute that the first wave of feminism starting with that Seneca Falls Convention in uh-huh. 1848. But I'm actually going to even push it back Do it. Like a decade. Do it. Further up. How dare you. <laughs> I accept your challenge. <laughs> it's very like, come at me, bro. You know what I mean? In 1938, there was an anti-slavery convention of American women in New York City, Mm -hmm. and they actually had to build their own convention hall because... No one wanted they, they Well, they wanted the event to be fully integrated. Yeah. And people were pissed. Yeah. Like, racist white people were pissed. And so they, they built this convention hall. It was fully integrated. They had women do, giving lectures in front of men and women, which was kind of, like, unheard of at that time. Yeah. Because women lecturing men was kind of, like, a big yeah. deal. And, like, they had black and white men outside, like, arm in arm. Yeah. To protect the black women that were inside. Wow. What so, was this what was this called again? It was called the Anti Slavery Convention of American Women in nineteen thirty eight in eighteen thirty eight. I feel like this was another thing that was talked about in my favorite book. Uh, but, probably. Um, she, I mean they were they were probably there. Yeah. Yep. Um, Look at they showed up. Oh yeah. no, it's Lucretia Mott. But Look. I'm sure they were there too. Sorry. Oh, that's getting, okay. getting distracted. Continue. And just kind of a side note that the following year after the convention, the convention hall was burned down. Of course it by was. By racists, so that sucks. Damn racist. I Why know. Why you gotta always ruin shit? I know. Well, I mean... I mean... Because <laughs> they suck. And the beat goes on. <laughs> but, so, to me, that was kind of like the last big thing organized by women that could be associated with women's rights. And the abolitionist movement. Kind of, like, joining together. Yeah. And then in July 1948, Elizabeth, Katie Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, and Lucretia Mott organized and held the Seneca Falls Convention. And this is kind of where you start to see a little bit of a shift. Mm -hmm. Because while all these women are abolitionists, they believe in equal rights for, or, 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 you know, freeing slaves and all that, 
they the only black person in attendance was Frederick Douglass. Yeah. And he was the first notable man to publicly advocate for women's suffrage, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But they had no black women yeah. in attendance at this yeah. thing. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, you see it in movies all the time where like, as you rise to power in a way, not that they were necessarily powerful because they were still, you know, having to, to really uh, fight for their own rights, but in a way, because, you know, they were organizing this huge event and things like that, in a way, in their little circle, they were powerful. And I feel like what we see a lot of times is when people reach that point, they start to kind of forget about other people and get kind of focused on their own issues. And for me, I feel like that's the real root of non-intersectional feminism. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's a concern because things affect you. And I don't know if it was a purposeful thing. You know, we can't ask these people what their deal was. But if I were to guess what happened is that they got caught up or maybe they had people surrounding them that were like if you really want to make a difference you're gonna have to not invite these people you know what I mean like and it it might not have even at this stage been a really conscious thing because I think I think at this stage they were still really advocating for the white rights of black and white but you can be in your head you can be like yes I'm still fighting for these people but then kind of be caught up at the same time Mm -hmm. and not realize that you're making those mistakes like i you know it could have very well not have been like we're purposefully gonna like exclude anybody these people Mm -hmm. but it could have been more of like a subconscious thing as well Well, i mean and at this stage i i'm kind of like okay like i'm like okay it's it's it'd be better of course there were black abolitionists who existed at this time who you could have should have Invited. I mean, or that we, we you talked about had kind of like relationships. Yeah, we with talked too. about Sojourner Truth. She yeah. she could have should have been there. Should have arguably, been there, you know. But at this point, I I kind of understand it a little bit. Um, well, I mean, I do and I don't. But yeah, it's, it's, I still think it's kind of fucky. But it, I mean, it, it is it is shitty. I understand it a little bit more the further on we get, which which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I mention really quick? Absolutely. That I. The first time I ever remember hearing and really listening to the Declaration of Sentiments was in college, mm-hmm. and I love that yeah. piece yeah. so much. Like, when I was in college, like, the first day, so we had, like, an, we had like a history class that was based on more of, like, the culture history a mm-hmm. little bit, so we had a whole week on feminism, basically, where we had to kind of, like, jam-pack everything in there. And I just remember everybody in class just, like, turning and staring at me when they said that. And I was just like, like, this is great, but at the same time, like, shut the fuck up. Now you know how Um, I feel during Black History Month. Yeah. It's so (laughs) annoying. When you go to an all-white school, and then they're like, we're going to talk about Black History Month and or everyone's like anytime Keegan? they talk about a black person they turn to you and they're like and give I'm like, me what yeah I didn't know them personally <laughs> well I just remember like oh there was this kid in my class who I loved dearly but he he was such an idiot when he was younger <laughs> and like he talked about the the my teacher talked about the waves of feminism how it kind of went up and down and he's like like the girls boobies they go up and down and I was like oh yeah, I was like, oh, it made me so mad. It made me so, so mad. 
But I just remember... This is why I can never go back to school. Like, (laughs) I I literally can't. Because I'm just like, I have zero patience for that dumb shit that, like... If I were to ever go back to school, I think I would need to take, like, online classes. I wouldn't want to deal with other people. I'd have to be with other people my age who've outgrown that. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I agree. But but something great... I mean, I got a lot of really great stuff out of it. It was the first history class that I ever was in where I, like, really wanted to learn more. Because when I was younger, I was like, this is boring. I don't want to listen to all this stuff. But... Hearing, I just remember hearing the Declaration of Sentiments, and the whole time my head, like, get, like, want like, to put your fist up, like the guy at the end of the Breakfast Club. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yes, and just like because it's it's so similar to the Declaration of Independence, and then they're just like, we're just gonna twist the knife and say fuck you a little bit, and we're gonna make it for us. Yeah. So basically. They wrote, we hold these truths to be said self-evident that all men and women yep. are created equal. So that was kind of like the gist of the Declaration yeah, of Sentiments. They just took they just took the words from the Declaration of Independence and were able to kind of uh, twist it to be this badass feminist piece. And it was it was written by uh, Lucretia Mott and I And believe, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, I think. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. So it, it was just Honestly, this convention was super, super powerful, and I wish that that people of color could have or would have been in attendance. Wonderful would it have been if it if it had been more of a joint event? Yeah, for me. While you're saying, in a way, you understand, like, for me, it's like, because we know what happens, it's kind of like, okay, you're setting you're setting it up for like. Years and years and years of segregation and feminism. Well, to be honest, I understand it less here. Than I do later on, so right. We'll, we'll get to that. I do right, understand but you it less. Know that that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. This is because you know hindsight is twenty twenty, and like this is Definitely. where we can start to see like, ooh, we should have been more inclusive from the start. Yes. And I think that they kind of thought they were filling their black person quota <laughs> by having Frederick Douglass there to kind of like represent the black delegation. You know what I mean? But because you know, one person really does represent all. You know, and look. Frederick Douglass, amazing man. Totally, but you know, he can't. But he can't speak. For, but he's a man. He's a man, and he can't speak for the general population. Just as when you're in school growing up, and they talk about Black History Month, and they're all turning towards you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's well, the same kind he, of thing. He, One person can't be the representative of, an and he can't people. be the representative of Black women, like no. at all, because no. he's not a Black woman. Yeah, you know what I mean? And th- that's that's where we really start to see this: is that Black women, time and time again, or women of color, time and time again, are. Getting Getting left behind in these conversations. Definitely, but I'm trying to say I'm definitely more, definitely totally more than totally. Less. I know because I say absolutely, a absolutely. Lot. But I came into this today trying to find a balance. Whenever I knew we were going to do this episode, I was like, Keegan, don't just talk about the lack of intersectionality the entire time. <laughs> Try to focus on the positive because I mean, what they did was still really incredible. It was, but the thing is, is that there are positives and negatives to pretty much every Everything. movement in yeah, history. That's so right. while there we are not taking away any bit of positive thing that comes from this, it would be naive of us to not mention the things that were problematic. Absolutely. And and we will continue to of throughout course. this episode. Of course. But so they brought together two hundred men and forty women and Elizabeth huh. Katie Stanton, I know. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Huh. Less than 50% okay. of, uh, okay. Okay, good job, guys. Good I see. Job, 40? Guys. 40 men? Yeah, that's all you could get to show up? Okay, fine. That's cool. Okay, Whatever. Okay, okay, just fine. Just fine. <laughs> um, the delegates <laughs> believed that believed women to be citizens, not limited in any way to their roles as wives and mothers. 
They rejected Victorian domesticity and its separation of women and men into private and public spheres, respectively. Later on in the movement, white feminists in the first wave started to get really upset mm-hmm. <laughs> because they kind of they, they they were there before the civil rights movement they were kind of pushing for for abolition and that sort of thing then they started building up steam with the Seneca Falls convention to get suffrage going and then the civil war happened and they mm-hmm. had they were like okay 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 cool 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 we'll back off we'll back off right <laughs> we'll, we'll chill we'll chill we'll while chill, the civil man. war happens right we'll chill we'll eat some chips yeah we'll we'll, we'll wait binge our, watch some Netflix right we'll, chill. we'll wait it's our good. turn we'll catch some broad city we'll catch it on the other side of this right and then and then they got on the other side of it Mm -hmm. and they were like okay so about women's suffrage hey by the way we still want our right to vote and then they were like chill chill your shit yeah we have to pass like the 14th and 15th amendments allowing black men the right to vote and it was at this point where this is despicable and and really disheartening and hurts me as a feminist who really always looked up to Susan B. Anthony and, and love, and I do love her and respect the things she uh-huh. did for the movement. No, I but know what you're gonna say. on the other side of it, I understand that she was completely, completely fed up with this. Yeah. And she said, I will cut off this arm of mine before I will ever work or demand the ballot for the Negro and not women. So she was basically saying, I'm not here to help black men. Like, I'm not going to help one more man, black or white, get the right to vote. Right. Which, in a way, when she's saying is, I, she's being passionate about what she believes in, but in her saying that, she's disregarding an entire group of people that she, if they were to band together, would be the most powerful group of people. Well, and regardless of just disregarding black people... This is where it gets so frustrating because it's just like, and this is what we talked about when we talked about Sojourner Truth, where it's like, okay, but there are black women. Yes. <laughs> like, you have... She's your, completely disregarding Yeah, it. your white men, the men of your race have the right to vote. None of these people over here have the right to vote at all. Is it fucked up that w- that white women don't have the right to vote? Yes, it is. But by saying that you won't help work to try and raise up black yeah. people mean that you are putting black women at the very bottom at of the At the very, total- very bottom. Total. And you are doing to other people exactly what you feel is unfair. This right. And I understand you. her frustration. Like, yes. I get it. Because but- it's just like, you feel like you've, you've helped already. Like, you feel like you've done your but work. But obviously it's not... It's not finished yet. Right. She shouldn't she shouldn't be giving up yet. And you said this was what, like in the four in the eighteen forties ish? Well, this would have been after the Civil War. So the Civil War was in the eighteen sixties, so this yeah. is probably eighteen seventies or eighteen okay, eighties, cool. you know? Yeah. I've got like a little timeline of first wave accomplishments and if we're gonna kinda catch up a minute to uh-huh. to this time, I'm gonna go through eighteen thirty three. Through 1860, I'm going to tell you some things that happened. Please. 1833, the first co-educational university in the U.S., which was Oberlin. Oh, wow. Don't know where it is. Didn't look it up. (laughs) I'll do that another time. Uh, Like you said, 1848, Seneca Falls Convention. 1854, Florence Nightingale, my girl. I think Mm. I talked about in another episode how I dressed up as her for a school project. Yeah, my girl. She establishes the female nurses adjuncts to the military, which is awesome. 
1851, Keegan's Girl, Sojourner Truth, delivers mm. Ain't I a Woman's Speech at Ohio's Women's Rights Convention, bringing race into the conversation. In 1855, the first co-ed public or state school was the University of Iowa, which to me is crazy because it's the middle of fucking Isn't that funny? nowhere. Um, <laughs> Just cornfields and one... <laughs> and one co-ed University. state school. But, you know, awesome. That's a great thing for them to be known for, and that makes me like Iowa a little more. Um, 1860, New York's revised Married Women's Property Act. Oh, yeah, there Which it is. allows women shared ownership of children and say in their wills and wages allows women to inherit property. That went through in, in 1860. 1860. Yeah. And then literally, unless I... Because I kind of just did, like, my little highlights from this. From this website that I had that was, oh god, what was it called? Gender, I sent it to you. Gender Press? Gender Press. I couldn't get Gender it to pressing. work for me. Oh, see, maybe because I, I found it just through Google, and like I think it was on like a few pages. In. Oh, okay. It, really, it, it was a really me, great know. website, though. And um, maybe I just didn't write anything down, but I just realized my next, it goes from 18, 1860 to 1892. Well, I think, I mean, there was definitely stuff between that, but I think, yeah. you know, the Civil War really took over. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, the next thing myself. the next thing I have written down is 1892 investigative African American journalist and activist Ida B. Wells, a yes. free slave, publishes and lectures from her book Southern Horrors, Ida. Lynch Law in its phases. Ida B. Wells, we could have an entire episode talking I'm about sure Ida B. Wells. Sure, we could, which we probably will at some time. We, sh- we, we should. I mean, I think like maybe once a month doing our little like feminist book reports would be cool. More wine, please. Yes, Pour it into the we microphone. are we are drinking liberated wine once again. I bought yeah. it because not only is it good, but I feel like it's appropriate for yeah. these. Kinds if you're of gonna drink wine, have it be liberated wine. That's exactly right. This is our our liberated. Juice. Moms have mom juice. We have liberation juice. Cheers. Cheers, my dear. Whoa, that was loud in my ear. <laughs> so, yeah, and unfortunately, our our lovely ladies, our, our lovely complicated ladies, Susan B. Anthony yes. and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, they were they did not manage to live to um, see the vote. But actually, something that I wanted to mention, I, I should have said this before. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Well, I mean, if we're going to talk about Elizabeth that. Cady Stanton a little bit, she also addressed various issues that expanded beyond the right to vote, such as parental custody rights, property rights, mm-hmm. employment and income rights, divorce, economic health or family, and birth control, which was um, kind of radical way before her time. Mm-hmm. And she was an outspoken supporter of the temperance movement, which I yes. What's interesting is this is what I meant. This is what I meant when I said that. The feminist movement, the first wave feminist movement, is all over the map. It is. Because the temp, like, and actually, um, people, uh, feminists who were involved in the temperance movement uh-huh. were a, a big reason why women eventually ended up getting the right to vote, which the temperance movement was basically, they were advocates of prohibition. Yeah. So, um, I mean, among other and there things. Was, and there was uh, quite a few women who were uh, advocates for prohibition. Right. And it was their, I mean, the temperance uh, movement wasn't just advocacy for a prohibition. Wasn't there something to do with religion with it as well? Or am I thinking it, of yes, else? it did. And I, it was involved. I don't know yeah. everything that it was involved in, but I do know that it being involved with, you know, advocating for prohibition is what helped allow women to get the right to vote because they were able to use that as kind of like a bargaining chip where they were like, yeah. look, I have, we have all of these women who would be willing to to vote for prohibition if you can help us yeah. push this, this amendment yeah. through, you know? 
But I wanted to jump back up before we move on from from Susan B. Anthony De- and, and um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and the people of this time. Yep. Is in Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis, who I love. You know I love Angela Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, she recounts how at the end of the 19th century, so the end of the, 18, the 1800s, the women's suffrage movement effectively sold out to monopoly capitalists mm-hmm. and white supremacy when they accepted to help the help of powerful Democrats who used the prospect of the educated, genteel white woman canceling out the ignorant Negro vote. Yes. So, and this is in, like, Chapter 7 of Women, Race, and Class. So, they used that to push the idea of women's suffrage, which is really... Again, really sad. Yeah. It makes sense politically. Like, they saw this, they saw an, like, they're smart women. Like, they saw an opening and they took it as far as it being like. It's like, it's like political figures today taking money from the NRA. (laughs) Ooh, But yeah, I mean, I mean, really, it's it's that kind of political um, chess move of saying, like, look, we can offer you something that you want. You're terrified of Negro men black men yeah. getting the right to vote mm-hmm. and everything that that entails. And yeah. we could cancel that out because we're of the same class as you and we're white. Yeah. And if you give us the right to vote, we'll vote more along the party yeah. lines. Yeah. You. They kind of had to make a deal with the devil in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it didn't work, but they, no, they did but- do that. Hey there, listeners. Keegan here. Did you know that our girl Madigan is coming out with her own adult coloring book? The inappropriate coloring book is chock full of feminist slogans, curse words, and potty humor, all framed by Madigan's awesome hand-drawn designs. The full book isn't available just yet, but if you'd like to purchase individual prints or just check out what's to come, follow the Instagram page at the inappropriate coloring book or check out her Etsy page at etsy.com slash shop slash be more inappropriate. Okay, so Keegan, from here, I think let's just kind of go, let's go down the timeline a little bit, and let's just chit-chat about these these things that I have written here. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. So, as I said, it went from 1860 to 1892 here, and we already talked a little bit about, well, we mentioned briefly Ida B. Wells. And we filled that analysis. gap a little bit. We filled bit. the gap a little bit. After that, I have 1913, which is another big gap. Like I said, I'm sure I'm missing a million things. Well, we already covered in 1910 is when um, What's-Her-Face came back from England. You're going to be my date holder. <laughs> I'm going to call her. I can't home. remember dates. Alice Paul. For the life of me. When Alice Paul came back in, yes. ni- in 1910. So we've got yes. that a little bit covered. So she came back and kind of kick-started, um, I think, what a lot of people think of as, like, our what we think of now as, like, the votes for women and right. the sashes and the big hats and the Well, and speaking of Alice Paul, in 1913 was when she had organized the infamous March of Women's Suffrage in mm-hmm. Washington, uh, which is often considered the moment when the fight for women's rights was desegregated. What are you thinking about that? I don't know that I... I wouldn't say it was desegregated. I was going to say, I don't I don't know that I, I agree with that, actually. I yeah. think... Um, I'm going to be real honest with listeners right now that I... This we're getting into the parts of the first wave that I'm not as well versed in, but it is my understanding that during those marches they still wanted white women to be in the front, followed mm-hmm. by white men, followed by any black men who wanted to march, yep. followed by black women. Yes. So while they were able to participate, which I think is what she means when they they say desegregated, as in yeah. they allowed people of color to march with them. 
Um, it still wasn't... It wasn't like a welcoming... They were still having to march in the back. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but I think that that is the same... I could be totally wrong. We're going to have people emailing us. That's fine. Teach um, us. But I, I think that, that might be the same march... I know it was Alice Paul who introduced, because again, she was using tactics that they used in England, and she and some others chained themselves to the Capitol. Okay. I mean, probably, because it was in Washington. Mm -hmm. I didn't look into it in depth. I have it just written here in my handy-dandy timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1915, American Medical Association begins to admit women, which is great. There were a lot more more, uh, female nurses. I don't know about doctors, exactly. We can dream. We can dream. Um, My new hero that I want to learn more about is Margaret Sanger. Um, Question. How do you say the thing that you put your clothes on in the closet? A hanger? You, dude, you pronounce the G too. Do you say uh, a hang, hang? hanger? Hanger. No, there's no G in it. There is a G. It's a no, hanger. It is not. No, but you don't pronounce it. If you look, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, sorry to get into this, but this is important to me. So, when I was in college again, we had a speech teacher, and we learned IPA. Right. And in IPA, the mm sound is like an N connected to a G. Right. It's an mm. Your tongue is hanger. in the back hanger. You don't pronounce the hard G. And I asked my teacher, who is like a Shakespeare okay. like, lady, I was like... Which, hold on. Which teacher did you have? Uh, I don't think you ever had her. She was from Minnesota, so maybe she mm-hmm. was impartial to me. Okay. But, okay, I had a friend from Texas, and Chris, who's from New York, they both say hanger and singer, and it pisses me up. But that's not what you say. That's not the general singer? American way. Singer? I'm a singer. I'm a... I'm a... Hanger. Hanger. It's not... I, ha- I, I say the G in hanger. I don't hanger say it Hanger is when you're hangry. <laughs> okay. I Sorry, disagree. because, well, I was trying to figure out if it was Margaret Sanger or Sanger, which for the name sounds better as Sanger. I, I, Margaret Sanger. God, this is going to cause a rift in our friendship. I think I it might. Feel it. Keegan, let's Listeners, fight about what it. Listeners, what do you do? What do what you do say? What do you do? Because I am firm on Hanger. We're going to make a poll and on our Instagram Chris, story. Chris, this is his, uh, this is how he thinks I sound when I say, say it. He's like, Hanger. Hair. I'm like, I don't sound like a donkey. <laughs> Hanger. Hanger. I don't know. I don't Hanger. know. Hanger. Because you, you put the N and the G together to make it... I think it's regional. Mm. I think it's regional. That pisses me off. <laughs> you seem very... We're learning general American... I think... They made me get rid of my E's. Yeah, let me tell they you. They made me say my last name different. Minnesota is definitely not general. Well, yeah, American. I am not seeing Minnesota is generally American. I'm giving the worst Minnesota accent ever. But like that's what I'm saying is I used to say my last name was Haggerty instead of Haggerty, and I say Haggerty. Yeah, now. you say a hard A. Where I used to say or like give me the bag over there. Yeah. I said big, but I couldn't even hear that it was wrong. So you can't trust a speech teacher from Minnesota. No, but she, but she's lived. She lived there when she was younger. But like me, she moved to LA when she was young, and she's a speech teacher. She learned general American dialect to teach us. I don't know. Don't go I don't know. there with me. I don't know. But I have to say, a lot of people in my life are on your side, which is why <laughs> I needed at least my speech teacher to be on my side. Hey, here's what we're gonna do. We'll ask Anthony when he gets home because Anthony is from. 
Ohio, and they also do that hard A thing. So maybe you guys have more in common, like, speech-wise. I don't think that's it, though. I think it's just that, generally speaking, that's what most people do. I think well, it's I just say, that most say people singer. in my life... I say singer. Yeah, but, but you, I, so you I don't, don't say, say singer? singer, but I say hanger. God, that's so obnoxious. <laughs> anyway, Anyways. we got really... I'm going to have to cut some, some of this down, but <laughs> Margaret Sanger... Happen, uh, she opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S., which led to her arrest, and uh, eventually opened the first clinic with all-female staff, and the first clinic in Harlem staffed entirely by African-Americans, which right. is cool. Um, and what she did eventually uh, in 1921, uh, she had coined the term birth control and formed the American Birth Control League, which was later called Planned Parenthood. And she got a lot of hate... Because they, uh, even at that time, were saying that it was a place for abortions to be happening. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is still, uh, we need to definitely have a birth control episode. Because this is something that's still so misunderstood. Like, there was a thing going around for a while that was saying, if you call Planned Parenthood, they'll say, oh no, we only do abortions here. Which is bullshit. I've, for years, before I had um, health insurance... I went to Planned Parenthood. That's what I do. I yeah. I go to Planned Parenthood. I have their special little green card because I'm I did too. Low income. I was poor. Yeah. And so and so does Chris. Chris mm-hmm. goes and he gets a lot of his needs mm-hmm. taken care I, of. I think people truly well. don't understand and what Planned Parenthood it, does for right. women. And honestly, and that's something that I'm such a huge advocate because it has literally saved my life. They were there and gave me an ultrasound and told me that I had cysts on my ovaries. They were mm-hmm. there to help me. I'm very difficult when it comes to birth control. My body doesn't take it very well and they were there for me in order to help me well kind of get through that part of my life we definitely need to have a birth control episode because i think people also don't understand because i know you and i both have issues with our lady parts yes (laughs) i was trying to think of the right way to say that yeah but we we both do and birth control is so much i wish i was on it right now to be honest um because it is so much more than just preventing you from having children. It's also right. medically necessary for someone women. Right. Very, and very I think, helpful. I think a lot of people are starting to see that, but there's also still that whole thing about Planned Parenthood being officially for abortions, which is interesting because Planned Parenthood didn't even provide abortions until 1970, which was after Sanger mm-hmm. died. Um, um, which is crazy, but yet she got a lot of, a lot of shit for it, and she... Probably because part of her wanting to open it was because she wanted to eventually prevent back alley abortions, which mm-hmm. were so prominent in that time. Well, okay. I feel like I'm always this person. What? Because I actually do admire Margaret Singer, and it's something that it's I... It's okay. Bring her down for me. It's fine. No, no, no. I, I do admire her, and I think that I don't want to diminish anything that she did or stood for. She also was, and let me kind of expound on this before jumping to conclusions by this word, because this word is very um, triggering, but she was a proponent of eugenics. Not in the way of, she, she swears that her eugenics were not racially motivated. Okay. That it was, she believed in, let me see if I can find what it was called. 
Sorry, hold on. So kind of like master race shit? No. Well, that's exactly it. She she didn't believe in like racially motivated eugenics. Like it wasn't by race. It was more by ability and intelligence. Oh. So she actually was a proponent for, and this is where I differ from her the most, uh-huh. was that she was a proponent for sterilization of people who were uh, mentally handicapped. Nope. She didn't think that they should procreate. She also didn't think that poor and uneducated people should be procreating in great numbers. Yeah. Which is, which is not inherently racist. And she she but she at said the time. Well, and she she was very much adamant that she was not racist. And but when you're so adamant, it's like, okay, why are you trying so hard? Yeah, I mean, and she she, she donated to the American Can- uh, Council Against Nazi Propaganda. Like, she didn't believe right, in, but, in that kind of master well, race when, bullshit. But, when we're touching on disability, though, also I think in that time, there was so, there was so much lack of knowledge on, like, mentally handicapped and disabled right. people. Well, not saying that what she is saying is right or correct at all, um, but what she is, what she's saying, whether she believes it or not, does touch on race and ableism. Well, it, it touches on ableism absolutely from that perspective of, of mentally handicapped people. But on the other end, when you're talking about uneducated and poor people, at the um, time, at the time, how many? You might not be racist, but how many uneducated poor people? are people of color. Yeah. Because, just, because they just weren't given the opportunity. They didn't have access yeah. to education or ways to get, you know, fair yeah. income. So you are talking about communities of color and wanting to limit their ability to procreate. Yeah. I mean, it, how many times do we hear progressives say things like that where it's yeah. just like, hey, smart, educated people need to be, need to be, we're the ones who need to be having the kids and these like poor hillbillies need to be the ones who stop having kids, which is what she's saying, but you can't, you you also just can't do that. You can't limit people's rights to have as many kids as they want, you know? But this is the thing, and that's, and to me, as wrong as it is that she's saying that, I think that it's good to acknowledge the fact that people in general are flawed, uh-huh. That we Absolutely. can praise people for doing the good things that Absolutely. they did, and we can also at the same time acknowledge the things that they've done wrong. Absolutely, and that's so, what I'm that's what I'm trying to do here. And it's hard to strike, but that balance. And that's, you know what I mean? But that's exactly what I just got from what you said. Good. So great. that's why I wanted to say it. So no, and I think it's great. So Margaret Sanger, we we applaud you for everything that you've done. And for God bless and, you for Planned Parenthood because right? again, Saved my life, you and I both like we. <laughs> you and I both were real poor yep. college students who didn't have health insurance yeah. for years, and yeah. without Planned Parenthood, I mean, I would have, I would have been, I would have struggled hardcore, and and so would have, so would have Chris. Like they do a lot of like kind of like physical examinations and things mm-hmm. like that, and um, it's so when, much more than birth control and abortion. That's the thing, and, and and I think it's it's seen as such a female issue too, when it's just a person issue. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and it needs to be broadened and understood better that it's a, it's a quality healthcare for people who really need help. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was we just touched on like 1916. In like 1921, um, Marie Stopes in 1918 published *Married Love*. Ooh, 
um, which became more popular than works by both Einstein and Freud at the time. And it argues uh, the importance the importance of women's sexual desire. Ooh, which right? was incredibly taboo at the time. People were so, like, I'm sorry, what? Women what? could enjoy having sex? Yeah. This isn't just something we still, make them do. That's still something that is, like, amazing to some people. Have you watched the Netflix show Big Mouth? No. Watch it. It's I know. so good. Everyone tells me to watch that it's show. It's so good. They talk about it. There's an episode where, like, they're reading, like, a rom- Like, the girls are all obsessed with this, like, romance novel. And this boy, one of the main characters, is trying to figure out, like, why, like, if they don't have sex in the book, like, what's, like, turning these girls on? And the girl's like, you know girls want to have sex just as much as boys do. And his, it's a cartoon, so it's just, like... It shows his mind being blown. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, we just don't talk about it all the time. And um, so, I mean, it's still something that we definitely talk about today that, you know, women mm-hmm. are disinterested in sex, which, I mean, there are some women who are disinterested in sex. There are some, some men, men who, who are, are disinterested, disinterested in, in sex. sex. Yeah. Uh, Jinx, you owe me a soda. Um, <laughs> so that is amazing to me, and I would love to at least read parts of that book. In 1920, the 19th Amendment passed in the U.S., which gave women the right to vote, which is great. Yeah. Um, There's that. And I have the problematic shit at the bottom, but it's pretty much everything that we've already talked about. Yeah, we have already covered the problematic shit pretty thoroughly throughout. Pretty thoroughly? Thoroughly. Pretty thoroughly. You know what I mean? Pretty thoroughly. Well, let's see if there's anybody else here that that we haven't really talked about that I have written down here. Let's talk a little bit about Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell. She was a British physician, notable as the first woman to receive a medical degree in the United States and the first woman on the Medical Register of General Medical Council. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the first woman to graduate from a medical school, a pioneer in promoting the education of women in medicine in the United States, and a social and moral reformer in both the United States and the United Kingdom. Hell yeah. So that's Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell. Let's move on to Jane Addams a little bit. Jane Addams, known as the mother of social work, um, what I have written here says, was a pioneer American settlement activist, reformer, social worker, public... Was a pioneer, comma, American That's what I was missing. That's what I was missing. (laughs) Uh, there was a lot of weird copy pasting. No, I get on. it. And me also trying to add my own like grammar in there. I do the same thing, and then I end up like screwing myself up. It's great, which I just did. Uh, activist, reformer, social worker, public philosopher, sociologist, author, and leader in women's suffrage and world peace. Uh, one of the most prominent reformers of the progressive era. She helped America address and focus on issues that were of concern to mothers, such as needs of children and local public health, which is great. In her essay, Utilization of Women in City Government, Jane Addams noted the connection between the workings of government and the households. She kind of was able to put things in a way for men who worked in the government and higher power. Kind of bridge that gap. In order, yeah, in order to kind of understand where what their day-to-day lives are in order to make them understand a little bit more of their worth. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1931, she became the first American woman to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Fucking yeah. Mm-hmm. And is recognized as the founder of social work profession in the United States. We've already talked a little bit about the Grimke sisters. What I have written here specifically is that they were the first um, American female advocates of abolition and women's rights. Um, they grew up in a slave-holding family in southern United States, but moved to the North in the 1820s. They became more deeply involved in the abolitionist movement, traveling on its lecture circuit and recounting their firsthand experiences with slavery on their family's plantation. 
Um, I'm, again, going to throw out that everybody should read the Sumunk Kid book, The Invention of Wings. It's fantastic. Um, And they were really ridiculed for their abolitionist activity as well. They were definitely outsiders. They later in life learned that their late brother had three mixed-race sons, and they helped uh, those boys get the education they needed. Oh, that's beautiful. So they're they're people that really did hold on to their abolitionist uh, beliefs and were very unpopular. They went from being um, unknown to being very popular in the feminist movement to kind of being outcasts losing their popularity but but still always kind of um maintaining their beliefs and that's something i think that's in like i'm so impressed by that because even for me nowadays living in the 21st century i'm still such i mean we've, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks i'm still such a baby when it comes to like going against, like, you know, beliefs about other people or really rocking the boat or wanting to, like, do any of that. And so it takes somebody of very, very strong moral character to be able to split from your family in that way. Right. But what's beautiful about what she did is that, you know, she had her sister. Mm -hmm. You know, the two sisters really had each other's backs. and Which does make it um, so much easier when you have someone else who's there. It does. And they... And for Sarah because I read the book that's mostly about her, she just never really understood why the separation between the races really had to be a thing, why they had to be treated different. These girls yeah, but were that's the same. Incredible. They were the same age. They loved each other. They had a connection. And it does show, you know, their differences and how one was definitely more privileged than the other. And, her parents um, probably unwittingly created this person. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because you gave her access to... She, you let her develop a relationship with another person of another race, yeah. and you humanized that person. Exactly. Well, they were trying to dehumanize them, and it Right, just, but it didn't, it work. didn't work. It backfired. So, um... Seriously, learn more about the Grimkey sisters. I freaking love them. Their pictures we'll have an no episode on them sometime. are scary to me. They look very <laughs> severe and frightening. No, I like that you like, said no offense, like they're gonna listen to this podcast. So like, you're like, no, <laughs> no offense, offense, Sarah. You guys, but Jesus but Christ. You look scary as fuck. Um, I just like a picture in my head is this like kind of blonde, cute, whatever, and then I see your pictures and I'm like, ah! you're like Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> you scary girl. Um moving on. Jane Hunt, another American Quaker. She was Quakers, one of- man. Can Quakers. we have a whole episode on Quakers? Let's do it. They were just crushing shit. Crushing shit. I just think of oatmeal. Um, <laughs> we've talked a lot about Su- Susan B. Anthony, and she's someone that I knew about generally, but I don't know. Like, she was on the that dollar. Detail- well, I was going to say, she mm-hmm. was the first actual... Did I just write? She became the first actual woman to be de- depicted on the U.S. coinage. That's totally a copy paste. But coinage such- is a word. No, no, no. Actual woman is what I'm laughing. Oh, at. the first actual. She's woman. an actual woman. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know, but it makes me laugh. She was the first actual woman to be depicted on U.S. coinage, with her portrait appeared on the 1979 dollar. Coin. Did you ever have one of those? I think I might have. I totally did. They were awesome. Um. Let's see. You know that Harriet Tubman's going to be on the 20, right? Yes, and I'm very excited about it. When is that happening? 2026. Thanks. 2026. We have to wait. Man. I know. Well, uh, Susan B. Anthony was definitely harshly ridiculed because she was... uh, They claimed that she was trying to destroy the the institution of marriage. Uh, She's probably somebody in this day and age that probably would be a very big advocate for gay marriage, I feel like, as well. If she was around during this time, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Now that other people have their rights, I think so. Right. Yeah. No, but yeah. 
But yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Um, let's see. 1878. I'm reading this backwards, which is fun. No, you're fine. 1878, Anthony and Stanton arranged for Congress to be presented with an amendment giving women the right to vote. And people, what I read here is apparently people later called it the Susan B. Anthony Amendment. Which I've never heard of before. Can we address how fucking pissed off you'd be if you were Elizabeth Cady Stanton and you were around right now? Oh, yeah. Because... I've never heard of her. I've never heard of her. That's exactly right. It's like... And, man, props to Susan B. Anthony, of course, but it's like, man, Elizabeth Cady Stanton was right there next to Mm -hmm. you this entire time and did just as much shit and didn't get nearly as much recognition for it. What you gonna it. do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's keep talking about Katie Stratton. Let me read her bullet-pointed list of badass shit she did. Um, as we said before, she was one of the authors for the Declaration of Sentiment, Sentiments. Go read it. It's great. She was the president of the National Women's Suffrage Association in, um, I can never say that word right, in, 19, <laughs> in 1892, 1992, until 1900. Before Stanton, uh, Stanton, sorry, not Ohio, narrowed her political focus almost exclusively to women's rights, she was an active abolitionist with her husband, Henry Brewster Stanton, co-founder of the Republican Party. Eek. Well, but, but, okay. But you also have to, well, you have to remember at this time, right? the parties were switched. Yes. No, that's true. It's true. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm more so sighing about, um, the wording of, it's very interesting wording for it being a feminist website that I got this from where it's like, before she narrowed her interest to the feminist well, movement, she was involved in the abolitionists. Well, kind I of, think that they say that because her, both her and Susan B. Anthony, as we stated earlier, yeah. kind of really pulled away from No, I know, and that's what I'm saying. It's kinda of, but the fact that they're saying that they narrowed it to like the women's rights movement is kind of uh to me a bit of an oxymoron because it's like it's still so broad. It's very broad and, and it's also because it's like to me they should be one and the same. You know what I mean? It's just it's a it's a side it, it should be, but it but it, you know, as we said it wasn't yep. at this time. Yep. This is before intersectionality. Yep. And again she wrote the women's Bible, which I mean, that's cool. No, she's a badass lady, and we should know more about her for sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these uh, women that I... I mean, I just touched on very few. These are ones that I just uh, read a little bit about. I wrote... I put down Sojourner Truth as well, and if you want to hear more about her, listen to um, not the last episode, but the episode before that, right? Listen to... The Trailblazers uh, episode, right? Our Trailblazers episode. Yeah, listen to that, and you'll learn more about Sojourner Truth, because without her a lot of this stuff wouldn't be happening. We wouldn't have a lot of the most wonderful feminist moments of all time. Absolutely. Uh, um, so I kind of just wanted to, because we touched on and then kind of passed over the 19th Amendment, mm-hmm. and really that's what all of this was kind of leading up to. Yes. So I do want to get into what that is Let's just a it. little bit before we kind of like start drawing, wrapping, up. Dra- wrapping it up. Um, so for those who don't know, the 19th Amendment in 1920 allowed women the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And it prohibited states and federal government from denying the right to vote to citizens of the United States on the basis of sex. So by this time, there were already states that were allowing women the right to vote. Mm -hmm. But it was basically, it's the same thing that happened with gay marriage, if you want to put it into those terms, where state by state, you could kind of make a decision. But But this was when it was federally. Yes. It was not. 
it was not federal law. So on um, August 18th, 1920 is when that happened. It effectively overruled Minor versus Happerset, in which a unanimous su- Supreme Court ruled that the 14th Amendment did not give women the right to vote. And the 14th Amendment was one of the Reconstruction Amendments that happened after the Civil War. So it happened on um, July 9th, 1868. <gasps> that's my birthday! On Madigan's birthday. Oh my god, that's my birthday! And I think I just said 1968, which is incredible. <laughs> 1868. Guys, I was born in 1968. That's crazy. Madigan is actually 49 years old. I would be older than that, wouldn't I? No, my mom was born in 1967, and she's 50. There you go. It's the only, that's the only way I can do math, is if I yeah, put it in reference to, like, Because for me, like, I was like, oh, my mom graduated high school in 69, <laughs> but that doesn't help me. So Sorry, the, continue. no, that's okay, the, so... For working through the amendments, the Thirteenth Amendment was the emancipation, right, yep. of uh, you know freeing black people, yes. freeing slaves. Then the Fourteenth Amendment um, addresses citizenship rights and equal protection of the laws, and was proposed in response to issues related to former slaves following the American mm-hmm. Civil War. So the yes, so this amendment also is interesting because people like Katie Stanton. And um, Susan B. Anthony tried to use this amendment to say that we are natural citizens of this country and we should be allowed to vote. And Susan B. Anthony, I believe, actually went and tried to vote. Yeah, did she vote. did. She got and she was she arrested. Got arrested. Yeah. So yeah. So then there was a um, there was a court ruling, Minor versus Happeset, in which the Supreme Court ruled that the Fourteenth Amendment did not apply to women. Mm-hmm. So they they went ahead and said like, no, no, no. That's not what we meant when we back, when we made that. No, not for you. Not for you. That's not what we meant. So the 19th Amendment was originally introduced to Congress in 1878 by Senator Aaron A. Sargent. Uh, 41 years later in 1919. So he introduced this in 1878. And it was not until... 41 years later, in 1919, that Congress submitted it... That's good math, Keegan. (laughs) That is not my math. That's the Internet's math. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That Congress submitted it to the states for ratification, and it was ratified by three-fourths of the states a year later, so in, in 1920, with Tennessee's ratification being the last needed to add the amendment to the Constitution. So... They had to get, like, a certain number of states in order for it to be ratified. Um, And they were able to get that number. In 1922, the Supreme Court rejected claims that the amendment was unconstitutionally adopted. So there were Mm. people in other states that were trying to say, uh, hey, we still don't want women to have the right to vote. So it's unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court was like, no, it's not. Women get to vote. So sorry. Um, (laughs) So So basically, all these things that these women went through... And I know we've said a lot about their lack of intersectionality and, yeah. and kind of, like, their the issues that some of these women had. and But the point is, they're real people. And there was good and real bad. flawed people. And they were flawed, and they were also great. But no one can take away that these women were committed, mm-hmm. dedicated. We wouldn't be where we are today nope. had they not done what they did. Yep. And they went through some shit, man. They like did. Because... <laughs> Chaining themselves to the Capitol, being, I saw the instruments that they used, at least for the um, suffragettes in the United Kingdom, to Uh force feed people whenever they were on hunger Hunger strike in prison. Yeah. And it, they're horrific. They're instruments of torture. And uh, yes, it it isn't, while it is important to notice their downfalls, it is equally as important to celebrate 
the wonderful, amazing things that these women have done for us and mm-hmm. that we're able to to start for us to p- start mm-hmm. paving that that road and right and it, and that's why to me that's why I feel such a uh, strong responsibility to make sure that what those women did is not done in vain. Mm-hmm. Is you, make sure you, you make sure you make sure you go out and you, vote, and that you improve what they've done. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're voting, and also look at their their flaws and things that they did wrong, and be able to notice that and say, "No, I'm going to make sure that the way I live my life is different." Right, and um, that's what that's what they're there for. They're there to just start. You know, they started digging the hole. We got to make it deeper. We got to make sure that we um, continue to create change and make things better for the world and I mean and and we have done that and we I think have we're and gonna... we're gonna keep talking about that and but you know what there's never the beautiful and tragic thing at the same time is that our work is never gonna be done and it's tragic because it's like man we're always gonna have work to do but at the same time I think that's also so beautiful though. it is beautiful yeah. because there's always gonna be somebody I feel that I'm gonna want to stand up for and that I hope that the next generation feels that they want to stand up for well, and fight for. And I think it's really cool that we're doing this series. So, listeners, I, I, we've talked about this before, but if you don't know, um, every week for Women's History Month, we're going to cover a wave of feminism. So uh-huh. this week was the first wave, next week is the second wave, uh, and so on. And I think what's really beautiful is also to recognize... Of course, these people were products of their time, yeah. but they were also looking at the times in which they lived, and they were saying, what little bit of progress can we make? Yes. Can we move a little bit forward, a little bit forward? And how how amazing is it that we are uh, doing this at this time where I feel like when it comes to gun rights, mm-hmm. it, it's such... Um, a hot topic, an important topic that's being discussed right now, and it's similar. It's what what little progress can me can we make right now in a political world that is really fighting against mm-hmm. us at this point? What little progress can we make? Um, I can see these kids who are speaking right now being in our history books. Oh, of course, for, for they, the kids that they one hundred percent will be. And um, we, I mean, we have to make sure that that happens. And, you know, I hope that being, doing this podcast, talking about what we like to talk about, um, advocating for what we believe in, I hope that that will make some sort of small change to have a chain reaction to be making bigger change in the world. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of all, I mean, like yeah. that's, that's the point of this. That's the point I think we were both trying to make about about this first wave. Mm-hmm. In conclusion of of the first wave is basically just saying they made whatever dent they could make at the time that they could make it. And yeah. it wasn't always perfect. Nope. But they paved the way for the people of the second and third and current wave. Yep. To come in. And without, without the people before us, we wouldn't be where we are. Exactly. Period. Exactly. You know, so... You, so yay, yay. <laughs> so props to them fucking yay <laughs> it's such Ugh. an eloquent way to end that <laughs> well I'm gonna say so I, I swear I give my mom a shout out every single episode good why not did you know that my mom when she says goodbye to me on the phone every single time now tells me to rage on that's the cutest thing I've <laughs> ever heard that's the cutest thing I've ever heard <laughs> that's sweet yeah I was just on the phone with her so okay Keegan doesn't know this yet but I thought we were supposed to be meeting at 6 not 6.30 so I looked at 5.30 and so I just like I went to a Starbucks were you just sitting in your car no, 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 okay, oh, okay, okay this is what happened so 
I left early and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the Starbucks to get a mark out on K-Cups because when I'm at home, I'm lazy. I just want my Keurig or whatever. So I was like, eh, it's environmentally bad. And I'm like, oh, God, make me feel bad. Um, so I went there to see if they had any of their Picros K-Cups. And so I sat in the car and I was like talking to my mom for a while to kind of like kill some time. Just got a new job, talking to her about that. And then I went in to like get my stuff. And I'm like, hey, mom, I got to go. I got to go. And she's like, okay. Oh my god, that's the cutest thing. It's so precious. That's she so sends sweet. Me, she sends me the longest text after each episode that she listens to, and she always says hi to you, by the way. Oh, hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. I feel like I, I always just... say hi to Liz on the podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Oy, they, I feel like when she visits next time, I'm just going to bring her, and she's going to sit. I don't even... She'll sit on the floor. In the corner of the closet? <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> She'll love it. Oh, my God. She had the biggest smile on her face the whole time. And we'll have her do the sign-off. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. With that being said. <laughs> Thank you guys all for listening. Thank I know you. that this episode was kind of all over the place. We, uh... But we are imperfect people. We are imperfect people. And I'm getting ready to leave town. So Madigan and I are cramming in two episodes. And we are. Su- you know, surprisingly, working a full-time job and everything else that's involved in life and doing research on two different episodes yep. uh, in one week may have been a little bit much, you know? You know what? I'm feeling it. I feel like my... <laughs> I think I have this, like, incredible... I want to call it a flaw, but maybe it's not a flaw. I don't know. Maybe I should be more positive about it. But I do have this issue with myself where I'm just like, I feel like, yeah, I can say yes to everything and I'll find a way to fit it in. And then oh, I'm no, like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> well, but I think that's that's the thing is I've, when I, so, bit quick 30-second background. I had originally thought of this podcast and this name and kind of, like, come to me. And the way that I wanted it to be was an approachable... Approachable? <laughs> Too much liberated wine. <laughs> an approachable um, discussion of feminism from two people who are great friends and have much love for each other. And I want it to be for the everyday person to be able to listen to. And We are not here to... Um, preach to you or to uh, necessarily always give you the straight facts and we are imperfect people and every episode that we do is not going to be perfect and to me that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. I would rather be real with you guys and with each other and say hey look we did our best this week this is what we're doing than to try so hard to put pressure on ourselves to do something (sighs) perfect every single time. Madigan so hard. Cause, but isn't that but isn't that a better message? <laughs> no, to I send? do. It is. It totally. You is. don't have to be perfect. It it's totally fine. Is. We're it's, doing. It's just my weird like type A minus personality. Like, I got you. Insane. Well, I'm okay. here for you to support you, and I'm here for all of you guys to support you as well. Don't be perfect. It's boring. Um, That's fair. That is fair. Yeah. Um, but we love you guys, and thank you for bearing with us, and thank you for um, kind of listen listening to us figure it out as yep. we go. And that's it's it's so wonderful, and we appreciate it so much. Yeah. And and yeah, we encourage you to, to rage, rage on. on. <laughs> we'll get it eventually. I we promise. Will, we will. We'll get it eventually, and we will see you um, next week. Bye. 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 Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.